So hi everybody, uh, I'm Ria Rustigi, the co-founder of a startup called Newfini. Uh, we are developing a wearable device which helps validate your mental health. So we bring together neuroscience along with psychology and meditation. So here today we have uh, Jodi Aman on our channel with you and she is a psychotherapist, she has suffered from anxiety, she is a mom and she is a writer. She has written six books until now on anxiety and her latest book is coming in 7th of July. So uh, welcome Jodi to our platform. She has written six so books until now on it's anxiety. It's a pleasure having you here. So can you introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, I've been a family therapist for 23 years now. And so, I, you know, when you do that kind of work for full time for 30, 20 something years, you know, you really get to know people really well mm -hmm. and really understand what goes on for them, what, 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 what they struggle with. And, and in that, doing that over and over again, you really see the way through, like how to help people get through and get out of there. That's amazing. So how did you really get into this? So let's go back to 27 years. How, what motivated you to be a family therapist? Well, uh, actually, I started out when I was in high school, I wanted to be an architect. And um, I love design. I love the beauty of aesthetics. And um, then I started volunteering. I mean, I was in my own uh, emotional crisis. You know, I was really struggling myself. It was, I was really trying to figure things out. I felt very lonely. I felt like no one understood. And so I volu started volunteering. And my first place I volunteered was a, a hotline for kids who were home alone, like mm -hmm. their parents weren't home and they were a little lonely. And so in some of the work, I mean, I started to volunteer at different places and in that work, I felt connected, more connected than I ever had been, you know, by, by being with people when they were in pain. And, you know, I felt uh, like I had a meaning or like that I mattered because I could see the transformation of the people just from being, just from being cared for. Yeah. And I, that's what I wanted, right. You know, mm -hmm. like that's what I really desperately wanted. And so I decided to go into social work and I never mm -hmm. looked back. Like I did it right out of I went to college and master's right away and started and um, yeah, so it's, I, I'm, you know, I, I love it so much. I love it so much. Yes. I've seen that your license and your master's is also in social work. So that's really amazing actually. So I, I, heard, I read that you also suffered from anxiety. So can you yes. tell something about that? Yeah. So I was introduced to anxiety when I was just five years old. I was, I was, we were at an event and the, we were talking about some presidents and mm -hmm. on the way home, I asked my father, I was like, where are the presidents now? Like, I don't see those guys around anymore. Mm -hmm. And he, his face got really pale and his neck got long and he said, I was, I was and and I I knew at an event in moment, and like we that was something really bad. Mm -hmm. I learned that, you know, I took that in. I realized that everything I had in my life that was secure could be taken away in a moment. And so that duality of life kind of kicked in and I knew that everything was insecure and, and I just had panic attacks on and off for 20 years, you know, mostly uh, really stopped a lot of things in my life, really made a lot of things really hard for me. But um, yeah. And then when I was in my twenties, I, um, one time I was really panicking. I tell these stories in my book. I'm just going to be short here, but yeah. you know, one time after a real intense episode of anxiety or during a really intense episode of anxiety, I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw that pale face and that long neck mm -hmm. and then realized that I learned it. 
and we do, we learn these things, right? I mean, it's not, we're not blaming anybody, really comes from our, our culture. And if we get into that today, I could talk a little bit more about how, you know, anxiety and depression come from what's going on in our culture. And, um, and I decided that if I learned it, I could unlearn it. Yes. And I set myself to doing that and I totally cured myself. And then as a family therapist, like I worked with thousands of people in the last mm-hmm. 20 years, helping them with the same six steps. And so I realized that I learned it. And so I set my, <clears throat> I set my intentions. Like I committed to unlearning what I learned mm-hmm. because if you could learn it, you can unlearn it. And I think we do learn it. And this is not to blame like parents or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. it's really, we're learning it from our culture. Mm-hmm. and and um and everything around so but but I guess that like that's the thing is like I wrote this book because we could unlearn it you know yes. I, I've helped like so since that since I cured myself totally of anxiety I helped thousands of clients get over it I have online programs I have several books and I know that you don't have to live that way you know yes. and so I think that's the message to get out I, I held my book up when I was paused I didn't know I was paused I was really just talking to them I was talking to the camera for a really long time, but anyway, this is my new book. It's for teenagers, anxiety. I'm so done with you. So everybody can actually see the link in the description on the live also. So I have given the description over there and the Amazon link because I, I actually went through your uh, TEDx videos and a lot of videos you've done. And the, the best part is how you talk about anxiety for teenagers, because that is a topic I feel that's not touched a lot. Because generally we think that uh, people think that failure in life, monetary failures, relationship failures cause stress and anxiety. But it's very good because a lot of these things, a lot of the insecurities come from our childhood and you have touched that. And that is really amazing. So I have a question here for you that uh, the number of kids facing anxiety is tremendously increasing with the coming years. Earlier, like when I was in India, it was considered as a concept which was there in the West. People were not in India accepting that kids are having anxiety. But as the time is passing by, the number of kids all across the world, be it the West or the East, are having anxiety. And I saw that you have a theory behind it, but why is the anxiety really increasing in teenagers? So can you? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So, so I really think that, um, well, well, really, I think one of the biggest things really is, um, is commercialism. I think that commercialism is one of the biggest reasons. If you watch my TEDx talk, you go look up Jody Amon TEDx is from TEDx Wilmington. And, um, you know, I talk about this, but the, you know, we are since the, since the invention of the TV, you know, we have screens and we have commercials and now with the device in our hand, we have them all the time. We're constantly um, told that we should buy this and buy this and buy that. And in the the reason, like we're losing our understanding of cause and effect that we have to do something to get something because companies just want us to buy all these things um, yeah. just because it's cool and we deserve it. And we don't get to buy those things because it's cool and yeah. we deserve it. We can't do that. And, people are, we don't understand it because we don't understand cause and effect. I mean, you do, if you, if you think about it, if you're really aware of how you're thinking, okay, we could get that. But really a lot of this is happening on the unconscious level and we don't get stuff, even though we want it. We don't, if we don't get the instant gratification, Mm -hmm. it feels like an unworthiness. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so when you feel unworthy, but you don't know why mm-hmm. you get negative about yourself, you feel, you feel powerless, you feel out of control and you don't really trust yourself. You're not connected with your own skills, your own abilities. You're not connected with what you can do in the world. Um, you feel like a failure. You feel like you can't trust yourself. You feel like you can't make any decisions or you feel like you can't handle anything. Mm-hmm. That is how anxiety comes. Yeah, that's how anxiety comes into our life is, is all of that that's going on. I think that's one of the biggest things. And of course, with social media, there's comparison culture. And of course, with social media, there's also violence that we see this random violence all the time. And, and there's some trauma happening because of that. So I, I totally agree here because uh, I think when we were kids, we didn't have social media. At least Instagram was not there. WhatsApp wasn't there. So the only thing we knew or we could be compared to was our immediate neighbors and now with the impact of social media and i see 10 years 10 year old kids are also on social media and they are comparing themselves and they don't really look like 10 year olds because they are comparing themselves to elders and this i think is causing a lot of anxiety because right now they are not skilled to deal with the outer world but they think they want to Right. I, I agree. I agree. I think like that's what makes Gen Z different than other generations. And that's why anxiety is really rising is because they have these devices in their hand and access to all of this stuff. And that comparison is really, you'll always feel inadequate. You know, mm-hmm. if you compare your backstage mess of yeah. your life, like our lives are messy, but if you compare your backstage mess, which what you see your life is a mess and you compare it to somebody else's highlight reel, you're always going to be inadequate. And that really does something like right into our souls, like Mm -hmm. right, right into our core. It makes us really feel like something's wrong with us or we are different or we're unlucky. And all of those things really decompensate our emotional wellness. Exactly. But I see that there are a lot of kids out there who are also like a lot in their own space right now. I remember that when I was a kid, I loved meeting and talking to people. And now now I've come to a point where I like being with myself. I don't like going. I'm not a very social person now. But kids at the age of 10, 12, 13, or even 15 are becoming very secluded and out of their social circles. Do you think is that a good thing? I feel like that. I, I We're social beings, and so we're not meant to be isolated like that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, especially like this quarantine and the social distancing, it's very hard. And I feel like we don't really know that that's what's happening to us, but we have, you know, we're exhausted and that exhaustion's from the social isolation, you know, mm-hmm. it's from taking in all of this stuff. I think a lot of people are theorizing that our exhaustion right now because of the quarantine is because there's so much we're taking in and processing. But I really feel like, uh, you know, the isolation is really mm-hmm hurting us. And so if we knew what it was, first of all, we wouldn't beat ourselves up as much. And then maybe we take different decisions like reaching out to people and, mm-hmm. you know, connecting with people over video or, or sitting outside with some people because we need to push ourselves. Once you start isolating it, sometimes it's like hard to get back out there. And so when kids start to isolate, it, it feeds itself and it gets worse and worse and worse. Okay. And it's, um, and they don't, they don't like themselves. Like there's mm-hmm. a, a lot of, you get stuck. If you're alone, you get stuck in the negative spiral thoughts yeah, of the exactly. mind. And so, yeah. So parents, I think are, um, it's, it's a disconcerting time. You know, mm-hmm. our teens are supposed to be with other peers right now and they're not. And so they really, what, what I really feel like teens need right now is a, a sense of purpose, like mm-hmm. some kind of goal, 
some mm -hmm. kind of something that will make meaning for their, you know, for their summer, if you're in the North or in the hemisphere, you know, something to make some kind of meaning in their life because, yeah. because they're, they've lost a lot of that, you know, they mm -hmm. lost a lot of things that, that to look forward to and all that. So they like need a goal, something to anchor themselves right now. Exactly. And uh, you also mentioned that, you know, uh, I see that it's very true that when parents try to control and compare the kids or kids sometimes now do that themselves as well, thanks to social media. So now what happens is that kids feel a lot of out of power and they take some decisions just for the sake of rebel. Because I think that gives them a sense of control, a sense that, a sense of power. And you have written six books over on anxiety. And I think this is your expertise as well. So what would you like to comment on that? Yeah. So when you feel out of control, you try to get some control somewhere. Mm -hmm. And either you get control, try to get control over other people, mm -hmm. you know, either like through bullying or, or, or trying to like gaslight your parents or make your parents feel stupid. Um, or fight with them, um, trying to demand or rebel. Like those are some things that people do when they're feeling out of control to try to get in control. And, or they try to get control over themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So they control their eating or they control, um, they isolate themselves more as, to get in control or they have, you know, some hooked on some thoughts and be yeah. really worried about stuff. I mean, all of these things are just try to get in control when you're feeling out of control, but they're, I call them pseudo control yes. because it's pseudo power because yes. they're not sustainable. Like mm -hmm. they don't really feel, they don't really like heal that feeling of out of control and they, um, and you have to keep doing them over and over again, mm -hmm. you yes. know? And so, when they're, they, 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 you know, so they're trying to get in control, but they're kind of feeling more out of control because then they feel guilty about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. If they're being mean to their parents, they feel guilty about that. And it doubles down. They feel more out of control and it's worse. And so what I like to teach kids, I mean, that's what this whole book is like, how to find like real sustainable power in your life, like how okay. to get kids like empowered to mm -hmm. feel like I don't have to be um, you know, I don't have to try to get control in a situation because I connect them with, with their, their real control that they have in their life, like the personal agency that they have. Like the personal agency. I actually agree here because uh, uh, what would be the symptoms? Because there is a confusion. So sometimes we feel that it's another generation, so we cannot really understand them. But then there comes a different line that people, teenagers are having anxiety, stress, panic attacks. So when should the parents get alarmed? that this is something where we should take care of, where, where we need special attention, where the kid needs special attention. So what well, are the symptoms? That's a good idea, good question. Because anytime someone is suffering, I feel like you could get help. Like there's so much help out there. Anxiety is highly treatable, depression is, we know where, you know, we know it comes from these contexts of mm -hmm. all this stuff. And so if kids started to, it's really about thinking about it differently. Mm -hmm. If they understood what anxiety came from and what it really was, mm -hmm. what it is, um, yeah. what depression came from, what it really is, then they'd stop beating themselves up and actually see like a way out of it. And so mm -hmm. it's like how we think about it. Cause if you have anxiety, you're like, Oh my gosh, why is this happening? What's happening? You know, the way we think about anxiety makes it more powerful because mm -hmm. it makes it scarier. So mm -hmm. if we understood it, there's a way out. So why hesitate? I think people wait like three to 10 years the statistics say. Yeah to get help with their anxiety. Like mm -hmm. they suffer for that long before they get help and they don't need to. 
suffer that long. And so anytime you're suffering, anytime these negative thoughts are stopping you from like enjoying life fully and having Mm -hmm. full potential, then you could go get help about it. And why would you stay in this suffering if you could get some help? Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for answering this, that it's, it is, uh, yes, this is the book to read for all teenagers. I, I am, I think buying this for my cousins who are coming to my mind. Uh, so my next question for you is that, uh, what can kids do about it? So if, if there's, there are two things, a kid feels that he or she is different from the other friends. And there's another thing that, you know, I am suffering in this situation is painful. So what can kids by themselves do? Should they talk to their parents? What are, because there are some amazing techniques you have talked about in your books. I've read them. So yes, what yes. are some techniques you would prefer? Um, well, okay. So there's so many different things because it depends on the context. But uh, yes, talk to an adult. Like don't try to do this alone. Talk to somebody about it. You'll realize that a lot of other people really do understand. You know, we feel like nobody understands, but people do understand. A lot of people experience this and they do understand. So that'll help at least. But also like, you know, we know from the neurobiology of fear and I explain this in my programs in my books, I explain what's going on in our brain and it really takes a mystery out of it. But you, if you understood it, then we know that taking some kind of action is what helps. Mm -hmm. right? Getting involved in something, doing something like people try to push the anxious thoughts out of their mind. Mm -hmm. But if you don't replace it with something, it's just coming back in, you know, you have to like put something else in there, something interesting, something creative to really build that prefrontal cortex. Like the more strength you have in your prefrontal cortex, the less anxiety and depression you have. And that's about doing something creative and problem solving. You know, our brain has evolved for 2 million years to solve problems. And we kind of live in a world where we have a lot less problems than we used to. And so I think sometimes we end up making up, we like, we go into the negative negativity because our brain like wants to find something to fix. So give it something, give it a great creative project that has good purpose that does stuff for other people in your life. You know what I mean? Yes, I actually totally understand what you mean. So uh, for me, it has always been like this. So my mom and my dad always used to uh, engage us whenever I used to go into a self-isolation phase because of my academics. My parents always used to give me some chores, take me away, keep us busy because it actually helps. And I also uh, read, uh, actually saw one of your videos where you were talking about giving kids the house chores. And that was amazing. So can you please... Did you do this with your kids? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, this really comes out of like my TEDx Wilmington talk. So this goes along with my TEDx Wilmington talk. So, you know, I was thinking about, you know, because we live in so much luxury, I mean, in the in most places, right, in the West, not all over the world, but it's because we live in a lot of luxury, we are doing less and less chores, even even adults. And so it is hurting us because, like I said, our brain wants to solve problems all day. And so when we have that, um, you know, people who don't have goals, who don't have creative projects, their emotional wellness is not as robust as people who have those. People have a good sense of purpose because they're engaged in stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was really thinking about this, about chores, because I was thinking a lot of times when our kids have a lot of stress in their life, or they're experiencing anxiety, or they have depression or something, we really start taking stuff off their plate. Mm -hmm. We we really, because we want to ease their stress. 
but um, but that's giving them the message that they can't or that something is really wrong. You know, it's kind of giving the message that we should be really worried about them. And what we really want is to have confidence in them because mm-hmm. we want them to find their own confidence that they have. And so I was thinking about chores and this is something I've developed over the years, mm-hmm. but I was thinking about there's three kinds of chores. One is um, like tedious chores, because mm-hmm. if you do those tedious chores, you know, dishes, sweeping, they have us every day. So tedious chores are like the like dishes, sweeping, um, laundry, things they have to do every day that are kind of tedious. They're not really that hard, but they're like boring. And when we are when we don't do chores often, and we have our face with one of these tedious chores, we get a lot of resistance. And and I talk about it more in the book, like what's happening to um, the brain. And we get a lot of resistance. But if we do those regularly, we have less resistance. So life is easier. And then I think we should do some challenging chores because we need to use the, we need to build our confidence that we have some skills to figure stuff out, to ask for help, to do what we need to do. Right. We we do have that. I mean, humans are highly adaptable, but we just don't know it. Like our anxiety makes us forget that, you know? And so if we do some challenging things, Mm -hmm. some challenging creative projects, then, um, then we're going to start to connect that mm-hmm. we are, we have these abilities and that's good for us to always be, have something going on. And then the third kind of chore I, I, uh, I outline is like generous chores, like mm-hmm. doing things for other people. Cause then you're seeing like you're connecting, like I did in high school that really changed my life. Right. Is that I was doing stuff for other people and I got to connect, you know, mm-hmm. I got to think like, don't sweat the small stuff, get out of your own head. You yeah. know, when you're helping somebody else, it heals you. And, uh, and so I think we, we should really be engaging all three of those, all ages, not just mm-hmm. kids, but all ages, we should be engaging in those kind of but chores. I agree with you here because uh, I remember that my parents also used to do the same. So my mom, we were very young when she used to send us to the bank. It used to struggle through. I actually feel that uh, when uh, kids and their families go through a lot, when kids are young, they have better capabilities to deal with emotions because a lot of things were thrown at them and they had to struggle through. And if we try to make things comfortable for kids at a very younger age, then it becomes sounds very difficult for them. If life has been made easy for them, if they are spoon fed, then life becomes difficult for them as they grow up and they don't know how to deal with their emotions and their life. So thank you so much for actually bringing this that the more you struggle through, the more it gets easier and uh, capable for you to deal with it. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a thing because if it's, if you have to struggle too much, like that chaos and the insecurity of that will, could, you know, that, that insecurity could cause um, some anxiety later on in life. So sometimes, yes, you build your resilience and you see that, but you have that resilience, but later on in life, you could have anxiety because you forget it. You know, in our culture, we look at our deficits and we look at our problems and our inadequacies and we don't see that part. And mm-hmm. a lot of times in counseling, that's kind of what I do is helping us see that all, whole other half of us that mm-hmm. we're not noticing. Because, yeah, so kids who deal with a lot of difficulties when they're young, they have a lot of skills in resilience or they wouldn't have made it. Right. Yeah. But they did make it. But a lot of times the anxiety is there and showing them all the deficits of that time and all the out of control and all the insecurities of that time. And they're not in touch with those skills. So they, they do need consulting for somebody else to to help bring that out or to read a book and help to look for it or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then there's like, you were talking about kids who like, um, there's so much luxury. They have no problems at all. 
they have security in some mm-hmm. ways, but then they're also not looking at themselves, you know? And I, so I, so I kind of wrote this book for everyone, mm-hmm. right? So for the kids who have struggled and the kids who haven't struggled, that was really hard to write a book for kids who like has had all luxuries in their life. And then kids who've really struggled and had some trauma in their life and everything in between, because they all could connect with their abilities, exactly. right? Like all of them. And, and then because all, you know, each of them feels deficit actually, even though, you know, you think, well, that's crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. if you had luxury and everything's handed to you, like you should be fine. But, um, yeah. And so, um, so they all, but they don't like themselves very much either because they're really, so the problem is people aren't in touch with their skills. Exactly. Like, so the, the messages from commercialism in our culture mm-hmm. separates us from our own skills and abilities. Mm-hmm. And I think you've also used some meditation techniques for kids and during your therapy sessions, and I think even in your books. So how, uh, what was your personal experience with meditation with kids? Because I feel that it's very challenging to get kids to meditate, right? Yeah, some kids really love it and some don't. So sometimes their parents like introduce them to them and they really like it. But a lot of times kids could use like the um, the guided, uh, like a guy, someone talking them through. So it's like a 10 minute thing and you talk through like a story and they picture that in their head. But it's a story maybe of sitting in a boat and the, the fears go like down the uh, chain into the anchor. Like, you know, there's a guided visualization those are much easier for kids to do and they do have great impact. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, in my life, for the last 20 years, I've been practicing mindfulness and meditation. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, I have a lot of experience doing it, saves my life. But um, another, another quick one that kids could do really easily, if you're rubbing their back and they're just focusing on where your hand is, that's a meditation in and of itself. It's Mm -hmm. just about taking your attention to one thing, you Mm -hmm. know, and so there's a lot of ways we could introduce kids to meditation that would be, um, would be doable and teenagers, they could do it. And they do see like when they're doing some research about meditations in schools, they're seeing like really big impact on those, uh, those experiments. Uh, do you know any stories where, uh, kids who have anxiety and have meditated have like, have their growth and their development has been made way faster, well, to deal with anxiety basically yeah i mean i think i think meditation is about us training ourselves to take our attention from one thing onto something else mm-hmm. and when you're anxious like there's always going to be something to worry about mm-hmm. but we could give that our attention unfortunately anxiety like is is, is sounds so urgent you know that the, the lies that anxiety tells us like seem really bad and and horrible and so we we look at it because we're, we want, we think, oh no, this is something we got to figure out. And so we give it a lot of our attention. So this practice of taking your attention from one thing to something mm-hmm. else is something you could use the whole rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And when you're practicing meditation, you're practicing doing that. And then mm-hmm. you have that, those skills the rest of your day, you know, because yeah. you could focus on what you have, you don't have control over, or you could focus on what you have control over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, thank you for actually answering this and sharing your experience about uh, meditation and how kid, how it can help kids. Uh, the other thing which you really talk about is conscious parenting. So uh, what is conscious parenting? I think just, just having some awareness, like sometimes we're in survival mode and we just like go through the motions and we just like do what we can. And then 
but like sometimes we just have to like drop in and mm -hmm. take some time. Like if we're over scheduled so much that we can't take some time to kind of drop into our core mm -hmm. or connect with ourselves, like in the morning, our intentions or, you know, release our fears, do our own spiritual practice, then we're in survival mode. And sometimes you do, you, you wouldn't do it that way if you had like more time and headspace to think mm -hmm. about it. And so it's about getting that time and headspace to think about things, to do the, to make these conscious choices. Now you're still not going to be perfect as parents. And when you're in that survival mode, you're really beating yourself up all the time anyway. And so it's just no good for anybody. But, um, but when you are um, giving yourself that space to do that practice in the morning, it really shifts the whole day. So you're mm -hmm. conscious about what you do. And then that, um, and that does change the impact of what you do, right? Yeah. Because you're going to make different decisions when you have that headspace. So it's about kind of giving yourself time. You actually make up that time later mm -hmm. because you make less mistakes and you drop yeah. less stuff on the floor. You have to pick up and all that kind of stuff. If you, if you're really more centered in that, <laughs> in that, um, in that day. Uh, what can parents do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, to actually help uh, in help their kids deal with their day-to-day -day problems so you i i know obviously the parents cannot say that don't be on social media this much because that won't help so what are the small techniques you maybe have mentioned in your books which people can look out for which can really help parents in dealing with uh, kids with anxiety yeah i mean first of all believe in them know that this is temporary and let them know i tell parents all the time like tell your kids that we're not going to leave you like this Mm -hmm. that you're going to be okay. There's a lot of things to try and we'll just try one at a time, but one's going to work because anxiety is treatable mm -hmm. and we're not going to leave you here. Even depression, like we're not going to leave you here. Yeah. Um, this is temporary. And you believe that because in, and have confidence in them, because when you're worried about them, that energy goes on to them like, Oh, there's something really to worry about. Like this mm -hmm. is a real problem. But if you're like, okay, it's temporary. We're going to get over it. We're going to do this together. I'm here with you. And the other thing I think is important for parents is to like, be up to date on what's going on with your kids because mm -hmm. when they have to, when they're telling you about their friends every day, then mm -hmm. you just need that daily update. But yeah. when they don't talk to you for a really long time and they're like, they have to tell the whole background to a story. They're just not going to do that as much, yeah. you know, sometimes, but, but when you're up to date on what's going on for them, then they just have to kind of do that fill in and then you're in the know. Right. So when you're in the know, then you could you'd be aware if there's any problems. That's what I want to be as a parent. Like I want to know so that um, so that I'd be the first one to know if there was something that I was a little worried about that I might need to intervene about. So that's that those are my best advice. But I have a lot of resources for parents and conscious parenting and parenting courses. So um, yeah, I have a lot for you, but Okay. That was that was amazing because I feel that uh in one of the videos, you had also mentioned that if uh, parents project their fears to the kids, it actually results in a bigger loop because uh, they don't have the skills to cope with it. And do you have a story or a personal experience where this kind of thing really impacted the kids' growth and thought process? I'm not sure. I don't know what you're referring to. I said that parents project their fears onto their kids. Yes. I don't think I would use that word, but... No, maybe um, not project, but it's uh, a, it's a um, you're right. That's like a structuralist term um, or mm -hmm. like a Freudian term projecting, but, <clears throat> but, uh, but our kids, you know, we're connected. 
you know, soul to soul, mind to mind, we're connected. So often our kids are living out our own issues, you know, mm -hmm. because we're connected, but also they're learning from us. And so when we're worried about something, they're going to have those worries about something. Same mm -hmm. with siblings, right? Because they're connected. So if one sibling starts to be worried about something, you'll start to see the other sibling is mm -hmm. too. And so we really have to do check ourselves, right? So we want to kind of check ourselves and relieve ourselves. If we're worried about something and we're trying to tell our kid not to, mm -hmm. it doesn't really work. You really have to do that on your own work for yourself and really heal those things in you so that when you reassure them, they'll mm -hmm. know if you're lying or not, right? They'll know. And so I think that's really, really important piece is to like, we should, it's win-win anyway, right? Yeah. So we're relieved from, mm -hmm. from that stress. And, and so, and then we could relieve our kids from that stress. Perfect. Thank you so much. So uh, now our live session is almost uh, to the end. One in the end, I generally ask the guests uh, to share one really good part of your book or your story, which you which can help people kind of hook up to your book. Because I personally feel that it's amazing. I read the summary part. I've read all the abstracts about it. So something you would want to give the viewers here. Okay. Hmm. I wasn't prepped for that, but there's this one section, um, that I talk about. Um, there's this one section that I talk about when sometimes we have to face our fears, mm -hmm. um, and we face them and then we could, you know, heal them. Like we could reassure mm -hmm. ourselves or realize that we don't need them anymore. We do that process. But what happens often is that same fear comes back. Like after we healed it, after we processed mm -hmm. that, and I think that what makes this book stand aside from other books, because I tell you what to do when that comes back after you fixed it, because what people mistakenly do is they go and they face it again and they yeah. face it again. And then it comes back and they face it again. You know, like, okay, I got to face this, exactly. but really you're giving it a lot of attention. You're giving your anxiety, a lot of your mind space. Mm -hmm. We want to stop giving it our mind space. And so I, um, I give you a fix how to stop giving it your mind space in this book. And I'm I'm so excited about that section. Most of all, I've actually sent it to a couple of my clients already and they love That's it. Amazing because you, I would actually like to tell all our viewers that Jodi Aman has a book coming up on 7th of July and you can already pre-order and the book exactly. I'm so done with you. It's a teen's guide to deal with stress and depression and actually rewire your brain to happiness. So the link is actually in the description of the live as well for the Amazon and you can really order. Thank you so much, Jodi. It was lovely talking to you and lovely. Thank, thank you, Rhea. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.